as you would know, it's that adrenaline once you get out there. Yeah. It's amazing what how a sore shoulder goes away or a sore, you know, a broken finger goes away or, you know, whatever it is that it just disappears for a couple of hours, then obviously the you know, maybe the odd painkiller or something wears off, or the the cortisone jab wears off, and you, yep. you and you and you're a bit sore that night. But then you do nothing during the week, and you get jabbed up, and you go again. Australian rules football. These players are badass. And this week, I hosted one of the greatest midfielders in the modern era, Dane Swan. We talked about what it takes to be great on the pitch, Dane's troubles off of it, and what he's doing with his career beyond sport. He's an author, TV personality, has an event business and clothing line. We met in Philadelphia before a 76ers game, wrapped backstage, then kicked it courtside for the game on Australian night in Philly. Shout out LTW for setting this up. Welcome to an all-new episode of Suiting Up Podcast. This is a show where I dive into the stories of some of today's leading athletes, entrepreneurs, and entertainers. And I'm your host, Paul Rabel. Enjoy my conversation with Aussie Rules footballer, Dane Swan. Dane, stoked to sit down with you. Yeah, thanks, mate. It's good to be. We were in Philadelphia. How often do you travel back and forth between um, Australia and the states? Oh well, obviously, while I was playing, um, just once at the end of the year, in sort of your your off season, I guess. But um, you know, I've been out of the game eighteen months now, so I did a lot of traveling last year. Um, sort of my gap year did Europe and stuff, but the states um, probably. Twice a year, three times a year now. So yeah. I try to get here a little bit. Um, yeah. It's good to get out of Melbourne and um, experience other things. And now that I'm not super focused on, you know, skin folds and worrying what I eat or drink or um, on, right. fo- on football and worrying about being fit for training and stuff like that, um, coming over here and, and experience other sports and how they go about it is, is pretty awesome. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm fascinated by your longevity in your career, getting started early. It runs in your blood. Your father was a stud. Australian rules footballers as well, uh, and you mentioned training and and nutrition and, and the likes. But before we even get to that, because I, I I do think from following you and and doing our research as that has evolved. But at the start of it, and you talk about this in your book, uh, the Rat Pack, yeah, yeah. and it's like badass players on the field and off. And so you know, what is what do you what, how would you describe the Rat Pack first? Um. Oh, I think it was just – it was a group of – a bunch of us who, you know, who played obviously top-level sport, but we like pretty much like you said, we we played well on it and we played well off it, I think. Yeah. We, we had – we had a, some would argue that we didn't have a great balance, but you know, <laughs> we we just figured that um, it, it was a good balance. You know, I you sacrifice so much as a, as a pro athlete, you know, in lacrosse and um, all, all kinds of across all sports, you, it's this being a pro athlete's a very selfish job because it's all about you and um, hmm. you got to worry about getting ready, getting your body ready to play. Then after a game, you're sore, so you, you know your friends and family got to do what you want to do because you need to be ready and you need to eat the right type of foods. You need to, you know all this kind of thing. So um, I tr- I made a well, we made a sort of a conscious effort not to try and sacrifice so much of the friends and family life so yeah. i guess the rap pack was just a, a group of guys so yeah who had a good time and you know unfortunately or unfortunately we had uh i guess a rap share we all got in a little bit of trouble yeah. off the field as well so that that probably coined it. and the media actually coined the term the rap pack they one after another one of us got into trouble um off the field 
um, the media on the front page of the, the big paper in Australia, um, they had rats, actual rats with all their heads on them, <laughs> saying what they were and saying, you know, this is Collingwood's rat pack. So, yeah. And we took it as a term of endearment. Yeah. Um, you know, the media ran with it. The you know, it's a big thing now. The the supporters loved it, and you know, at the end of the day, the guys who were going to stick their head over the ball if it was late in the fourth quarter or something, and we needed something to happen, it would be one of the be one of those boys. And I think that's why it sort of stuck, and that's why the supporters and that really took it on and enjoyed it because it wasn't like the guys who were classified in the rap pack weren't any good. They were actually, you know, very good players, and that just happened to be normal. They were just normal lads. That's pretty much what. That probably sums up the Rat Pack Mullane, just normal lads who didn't, who were yep. just doing the same things that normal 25-year-olds are doing. It's just we happen to be playing on the MCG in front of 80,000 every week. So yeah. we didn't try and – we didn't change to, to make ourselves look like we are better than anyone else or anything. Like We just still knocked around with the same people we grew up with, did the same stuff that our mates were doing, whether they were tr- tradies or you know whatever they were. So I think that's why we are Indeed, to fans, I think. Yeah, and I think, you know, not to mention world-class athletes, but it's kind of uh, a lot of people will be hesitant to talk about athletes and partying or going out after games because there's this association with world-class athlete taking care of your body, kind of this Tom Brady approach that we're seeing now where every meal is measured and every minute of his day when he's not in bed is taking track in whether it be PT or workouts or mindfulness study. But most of, and this is in lacrosse and, and rugby for, for a while and, and, and Australian rules football is also kind of position themselves, at least in, in American media, as a group that likes to go enjoy themselves and have beer after games. And it, it feels like, from my perspective, more accepted overseas. And in America, it's like this catch-22 or double-edged sword of like these athletes, oh, God forbid, if they go out and enjoy themselves with their friends. The other area is like, that's often where where sports and the players within teams bond, is like going out and enjoying yourself at dinner and uh, I'm kind of interested in, in where you land having kind of gone through both. And as you've gotten older and more experienced and your, your success in your career certainly inclined, yeah. um, you know, any regret or is it a part of the process? Yeah, I, I, th- I think for me, if, you know, I, I said it, um, if I had been like a Tom Brady who um, did everything um, everything he did was all, um, you know, devised to just be his best on Sunday or whatever it was. Everything he did was aiming to make sure he was at his best on Sunday. You know, from straight after the game, what it like, you know, all the recovery, everything he measured, his food, all the sleeping, all that kind of thing. If I was like that, you know, I think I would have burned out playing footy and would have been done in five or six years because it just would have got to me mentally and said, oh, I, I can't keep living like this because it's driving me crazy because I'm not in enjoying being a pro athlete because being a pro athlete should be fun yeah and you know you you get a lot of you know bonuses playing pro athlete you, you know you play in front of we play in front of like i think average crowd was like 65 70 000. you know you you get to be fit you get to have a great lifestyle you get to travel the world at the end of the season and stuff like that so um well for me why would i want to enjoy i wouldn't want i didn't want to look back when i was 30 well now and think geez i wish i had i went on that footy trip to, to Bali or I wish I'd have went to the States and did this or I wish I hadn't have missed me mate's 21st birthday or stuff like that because um, you can't get those memories back so you know I've got amazing memories with football and I've got amazing memories 
with you know my social life yeah. i guess or with my friends and family because you know you know the ones that you you know see coming up the ones you see going down so um you know they're going to be with me no matter how bad or well i played so for me it was um i don't regret anything um like i said if i had a experience if i had tried to have been 100 percent committed and did everything and went and did extras and went and jumped in the ocean on the on the next day and um ate the right foods and didn't drink and didn't go out and didn't go to my mates parties as much as i could have you know who's to say i would have had the same career i think i had a i think i needed a balance and everyone knows what they need and mm-hmm. people are different some people need to some people walk the dog some people you know go to the movies some people like need to go for dinner and have a couple of bottles of wine some people need different things to go out and um, they know how their body needs to relax and how mentally they need to get away from the game. Me, I was being around my friends and family and going after and having a couple of bottles of wine and if I let into one or two big nights every now and then, well, that's how it was. And then I think maybe in the back of my head, I was like, well, I need to I need to play well this week because if I don't, I'm going to get my ass kicked by the coaches and the fans and stuff for, for being the way I am. So maybe that was you know in the background of my mind a little bit of a driving force so i need to play well because you know if this lifestyle is going to get me in trouble if i don't play yeah. well every week so a little bit of that but um yeah i don't i don't regret anything either of um you know i've had some obviously some indiscretions and I've, and I've fucked up a little bit but um that's made me who it is who i am today i sit here you know extremely you know fine with who i am as long as i can look at my friends and family and they are happy with me well then it doesn't worry me. So everything that I've done in my career has, has got me to this point. And, you know, I probably wouldn't be sitting here right now you know, doing a podcast with you if I hadn't have done the things I've done in my career. I live a life on the road. That's from training to competition, the Rabel Tour, speaking engagements, and most importantly, travel to my podcast guest location to record these interviews. Having compatible luggage has become greatly important to my mindfulness and relative ease of transportation. And I choose Away. Away is first-class luggage at a coach price, and their approach is simple. They create special objects that are designed to be resilient, resourceful, and essential for the way both you and I travel today. Here are also other reasons why I like Away. Number one, their interior features a patent-pending compression system, which is really helpful for overpackers like myself. Its TSA-approved combination lock is built into the top of the bag to prevent theft. It has removable, washable laundry bags, which keep dirty clothes separate from clean ones. They have built-in chargeable outlets for your devices. And last but not least, they have a 100-day trial and a lifetime warranty on all of their products. Now, because you're a loyal student up podcast listener, I've sourced a great deal to layer on top of an already affordable product. So you can get $20 off a suitcase by visiting awaytravel.com forward slash Rabel and use promo code Rabel during checkout. That's awaytravel.com forward slash R-A-B-I-L. Away is first-class luggage at a coach price. I found through a lot of the guests that have been on the show that their success was derived almost wholly from some type of failure, personally or professionally, or a culmination of those, or learning experiences. And then even a, a guest by the name of Ryan Holiday, who's New York Times bestselling author, and, and talks about the obstacle being the way and stoicism and looking at almost inviting failure as a way to grow and being aware enough to know and attribute the success to those failures and someone that was drafted early in, in way of age or 17 yeah. Yeah. in your first debut was when you were 19. Yeah. Um, your, your career 
trajected upwards. Uh, but you talk about these moments of of kind of being younger and, and experiencing the world of football and the accoutrements associated with being a professional athlete playing in front of 60,000 people. And there was this game that you talked about in an interview where you let up five goals. Uh, you felt like your career was coming to an end and you made changes. That's something, something that, that makes me think of myself in certain areas where you lose a, a massive game and your thoughts just start running like a waterfall. It's like, well, yeah. this, that, what's going to happen here? Lose sponsors there. What were the changes that you made that really put your career on the path of being one of the best footballers in the world? Yeah, I guess. Well, well my dad said I got drafted too young. I got drafted, like you said, I got drafted when I was 17. So um, I just finished high school. Uh, How do you get drafted? Uh, is it just like scouts or yeah so you, we, there's like a feeder league sort of thing um, you can get drafted like you can nominate for the AFL draft right now and if okay. they decided <laughs> they wanted to draft you well you know it might take a risk but you never know um, <laughs> but so, so you just nominate for the draft but there was this thing the under 18 competition called the, the TOC Cup which is um, you know it's like the all the, the t- most talented under you know under 18s they play for their lot you know, the local team. So I was the, the called cannons in my area where I grew up and, you know, they invite you to come, they invite maybe a hundred blokes to come down and, and train. And then obviously you get cut, cut, cut. Then they make like have a squad of like 40 and then you play every week and, you know, just you get drafted out of that. So I played in that and we won the, you know, version of the Super Bowl in the under 18. So I got drafted out of that as in the 58th pick. And um, my dad said I got drafted too young or so. And I like how I was when I was older. I, Moved straight out of home, and I was never really had a job before, never really done anything. Um, so I was, I was, I was, I was eighteen. I turned eighteen in February, got drafted in November. So I was nearly eighteen. Moved straight out of home. Um, never had any money before. I was making you know good money for for back of the time for a person, a young eighteen year old. I never had any money, and I was going out. I was doing exact. I was going out Thursday night, Friday night, playing Saturday, and going out Saturday night, Sunday night. So I was. I had no idea of how to be a professional athlete. Um, I was just pissing away my career, and then I guess I got into I got arrested um, when I was nineteen, and I got told I was going to be sacked. So um, sitting there and you know, with my old man and my manager in there, and um, they all told me what they thought of me, and I was going in there thinking I was going to be sacked. And I'm a pretty easygoing person; don't really care about much, and I'm. Uh, pretty easy to to deal with, but and I'm pretty easy going. But that was the first time when I was like, "Fuck, this is the end of my career." I take it for granted. Like every kid who gets drafted thinks they're going to play forever, I think yep. they're going to do everything, and yep. I was exactly the same. I think it's a pretty good life. So I was, thought I was a rock star instead of a footballer. So um, I thought I was going to be sacked. They end up the coach ended up saying, "All right, we're not going to ruin your career on one on one blue." So that was kind of the turning point where I was like, "You know what?" Um, Playing professional sport is actually not a bad gig, um, so I might try and give it a go. So I wasn't really giving it a go. I was just sort of on the list, just floating around, yeah. just not trying to train because I was tired or was, and I just wanted to go home and be with my mates. So then I was like, right, oh, let's give it a go and, and see what happens. So then during that pre-season, I, just, I was like, I'm going to give it a go and see what happens and flogged myself. And it was the hardest six months of my life because all, all I'd do was train because I wasn't fit enough to train, train eat and sleep and then wake up and train eat and just repeat that process you know for four or five months and 
Um, and like it didn't happen overnight, but I got a little bit more confident. Like you said, I had five kicked on me. I used to play down back before I moved into the midfield and um, got five kicked on me and I was pretty upset about that. I was never really happened before. I didn't really, I didn't really care about football before and then I was actually trying, actually cared and it was probably when I wasn't caring, it was probably that, that buffer like if I don't care and I play shit, it doesn't really matter because I don't care but then I started to care about it. Had five kicked on me and I was like, well, this sucks and you know I was pretty embarrassed and didn't want, hmm. I just wanted to, you know, Build a hole in front, dig a hole in front of, in the middle of the MCG and dive in all. But um, I've got great support from my coaches and my teammates, and um, you know those kind of lessons just, you know, just helped me. And then I got a bit stronger, got a bit more confident, grew into my body a bit more, and then um, just took step by step by step by step. And then um, you know, 2000 sort of six, seven, eight. That's when it turned. Yeah, is when you know the penny dropped and. I started to. I got an opportunity to play in the midfield in in the last quarter of of one game and went really well in the last quarter. And from then on, they just kept me in the midfield and I just kept getting a lot of the ball. And um, that's when the penny dropped. And I guess I, you know, I knew I was going to play every week, but I didn't feel safe because I wasn't I wasn't a number one draft pick who come in and just played every week. I did it the hard way, and so I always had that chip on my shoulder or that feeling of not being safe so yeah. I was like I need if I had one bad one I was like I can't have another bad one next week because then the pressure's going to be on even though I kind of knew it wasn't going to be on you I was kind of safe in the side but that was the mentality I had like so I need to play well every week to guarantee my spot in the side so I think that's also a thing that helped me yeah that's that's really interesting you say that I, th- I think a lot of great athletes have that fear and I'm not quite sure where it comes from I, I challenge myself to think about it I'll give you an example. I've I've been playing this game. I'm 32 now for professionally for 10 years, which is another story. You talk about you know playing as a 17 year old, getting your first start as a 19 year old. You're, you're younger. I'm experiencing those certain um, insecurities as an athlete and how I'm processing it in college, which is kind of the American system and yeah. doing your partying and with the university after games on weekends, and you're not fully in as a pro athlete. So we have this like halfway home into pro sports. Yeah. And, but what I was saying about kind of understanding our own psych- psyche and our fears is like, and this is my third world team now playing on, it was just announced uh, in Israel for the world championships yeah. this summer. And, you know, people in and around the sport are like, well, you know, you're, you're going to be on this team. You've earned it. You've, you've played well professionally and playing well during tryouts. And I'm still in the back of my head, like nervous as hell. Yeah, so I got I got to see the final <laughs> roster, and I don't know wh- where that comes from. Particularly for me, you maybe yeah. influence. Both of our dads had influence on us. I think that's a I think that's that's a a big driving force because I think the day you stop worrying about that stuff and go, I'm gonna I'm gonna make it. That means I think mentally you just or right, I'm just gonna take half a step backwards of training, or maybe I won't do that extra lap, or I won't do that extra stride, or I won't do that extra bench press or something like that because I'm gonna make it. And I think that. That fear or that nervousness of not knowing, geez, you know whether you are the the best player in the world, well, you know, whether you are the LeBron James, you know where you're clearly yeah. recognised um, as the best player, you know you're going to make it. But um, that having that nervousness or that that fear of, of failure, I think, is a huge driving force for for yeah. anyone who is in any profession really, because that I think that makes you grind that harder, makes you work that extra little bit makes you um go to sleep and I think geez I need to make sure I need to do this and get up that little bit early in the morning while your opponents are sleeping yeah what do you think that comes from specifically for you I, I know your dad 
Uh, Billy had a prolific career yeah. as well, seventeen years, and was an MVP. Yeah. Was was he was he hard on you as it relates um, to sports, or did he kind of let you play? Yeah, he was. He he was not really. He wasn't. He sort of let me find my own way. Hmm. Um, I was not a shit as a kid, but I was sort of like the more I got, even at school, or even the more I got pushed to do something, more I didn't want to do it. I just yeah. If, if I found it myself, I would give it everything because I thought it was my idea and it was me. But the more if some more someone just told me to do this and on my back, I'd just be like, I'm not doing it. Right. Um. So yeah, we used to go to the park and kick and. You know, he'd, on the right, I kicked right footed, but he'd try and make me kick on my left. And, you know, I'd, I'd try and kick on my left three, four times, and I'd go, they'd be shit else, and I'd go nowhere. So I'd be like, no, I've had enough of this. Then he'd, I'd be walk back, trying to walk back home, and be yelling at me, like, yeah. you know, <laughs> stop being a sook. You know, you only practice. And I'd be like, no, nah, I've had enough. So yeah. things like that. But, um, no, that was great. Um, he was there when I needed him. Um, when I ever needed that shot of confidence or I needed to be told something. Um, he would tell me, but he wasn't one of those dads who would yell at me across the oval when I was playing in the, right. in the um, middle of the ground. I think he tried to do it once when I was like 14 or 15 because I was being lazy and um, I sat down in the middle of the field and stuck my fingers in my ears and looked at him while the play was going on around me. So he got the idea pretty quick smart that I shouldn't be yelled at, but um, he'd, he'd do it in different ways, more the... It was more that I'm disappointed, you know, that I won. I'd rather him be young, angry at me than to give the disappoint the disapproval. So, um, and I guess the other thing, I wasn't super good as a junior. I wasn't an, an elite talent as a junior. You know, the, the first sort of best club champion that I won was was at Collingwood in 2008. I never won one as a kid growing up. So mm-hmm. I was never the best junior. So he probably, you know, you asked that, he probably always thought I'd play a field. That's what parents do and they encourage you. But... Deep down, I, I would have severely said anyone in my family thought that I was going to have the, certainly have the career I had. Yeah. Um, so I don't think he was pushing me because he didn't, probably didn't see the, the you know, the, the didn't have the foresight of the talent. So I didn't have much talent or ability until I just got better every single year. There was heaps of kids who were way more talented than me and way better than me as a, in my age group, but they stopped and I just developed and got better every single year up until like, you know, 28, 29, 30. Yeah, I think that's fascinating. There's a lot of uh, parents that listen to this pod who have kids that are in sports, and they're always asking around playing multiple sports or doing sports specialization. But there's also this dynamic as a parent where you want your kid to do well. You want them to focus at a, a, at an early age when they're likely not mature enough to intrinsically motivate themselves and practice for hours on end for me against the wall or however you went out and played. So they had pushed themselves. They almost have this like militaristic style, these parents of like demanding all of this output from their kids to be great at a sport that the kid may not want to be great at. And so my advice to, to kids and parents is always like, allow your child as much patience as it takes and as hard as it is, allow them to find it for yeah, themselves because that's when they'll really improve. Yeah, of course. And I think the other thing for parents now, well, especially you have to understand that sport's meant to be fun and if they're not having fun playing sport or anything when they're 12 there's going to be absolutely no chance they're going to have fun playing sport when they're 22 yep um, and when if they do get to the elite level as much as sport as much as um, sport is fun the elite level it can't it doesn't it's not fun all the time because no. you are putting in an enormous amount of work and it does hurt and like i said Shit before pressure. It, yeah, exactly and it's very selfish sport you're um, it's all about you and your whole family's worried about you and what you need if you know if you've got a partner or a wife 
there at home with you two nights out because you can't leave the house and all these kind of things. So, you know, the most pure and raw fun times is playing sport is when you're a kid and you want to jump in the mud while the game's going. You want to play with your mates. You want to kick the footy with your mates or throw the football or throw a baseball, whatever whatever right. sport you're playing. Um, when you're a kid, and that's when you find your love of one or, or two sports or whatever it is. And then, like you said, the one when you find it on your own, then you go, right, oh, this is the one I love and this is the one I want to um, spend a lot of time in. And then you grow and you get better um, naturally instead of you know having your dad drag you down in the weight room and start yeah. doing squats when you're 13 because you need you know some power in your core to you know break tackles and stuff like that. Yeah. Now, by the time they're 15, 16, they're going to be worn out and go, oh, this is this is enough for me. Today's episode is brought to you by Mattress Firm. They've been a loyal sponsor of the last handful of shows through audio and application while I sleep. Let's keep the ball rolling, shall we? Everyone knows how important stretching is before an event, especially as athletes, and so does Mattress Firm, except it's your dollar. Your budget stretches further when you're shopping at America's neighborhood mattress store. They're the head coaches when it comes to mattress expertise, but know this. They are more than just mattress experts. They have a game plan that helps you transform your mattress into a bed. From adjustable bases and sheets to headboards and bedroom decor, they have you literally and figuratively covered from start to finish. Now, I want you to go to mattressfirm.com forward slash podcast to see what deals are happening as I read this sentence to you. And on top of the deals, which are always good deals, they'll offer you a 120-night sleep trial to ensure a perfect 120-night Low price guarantee, so you know you paid the perfect price every time with Mattress Firm. Score big with a perfect bed. Head to mattressfirm.com forward slash podcast to get the play-by-play on how you can monumentally improve your sleep. Today, tonight, and tomorrow. When you found that discipline during the six months after 2006 and turned your career around, you know, what type of specific training did you find was beneficial to you or even when you made your run uh, all the way up until 2016? Yeah. Uh, did For your sport specifically, is it squatting? Is it hand cleans? Is it a lot of heavy weights, body weight stuff? And what particular is like a favorite workout of yours? Um, I was probably, for me, I, my um, – I guess the way I played was, I was my game was based on speed and power. Um, so I, um, if you're talking weights, just more the, the short, sharp reps and stuff like that. And, and a lot of body weight stuff with explosive yeah. power, just because, um, the way I played on the field, like with, was a bit similar to ice hockey. We based the way I played and sort of the way outside was batting, was going to play on ice hockey with the rotations. Cause we did, we could have as many rotations as we wanted as more, I don't know, playing the midfield, you go hard, you know, burst, running for sort of five, six minutes, come off, get a couple of minute break, and then you go again. So that's what suited me. There was other guys who were super um, fit endurance-wise, so they could just run the whole day on, yeah. the, on the same speed where I, you know, I had leg speed and, and power. That was that were my two strengths. It wasn't super long endurance or anything like that. So I had to, to go as hard as I could for five, six minutes, get off, get a break, and get rid of the lactic and then come back out. So that was the way I played. So that's the way I trained. You know, so like more... shaping your workout based on what you're actually doing on the field. Yeah. So... And so many people do it vice versa, right? They just yeah. like come up with a workout plan and it looks nothing like how they play on field. Yeah. So it was, was, wasn't so much weights for me. It was more the running I needed. I needed to run hundreds, 200s, 300s, 400s hmm. um, on, on, with short breaks, then go again. That's 
all I needed, you know, 20 meter sprints, hit the deck, get up, go again, you know, hit a tackle bag, bounce off, go, that kind of thing where, because that was, um, that's how, I, that's what happens in a game. So for me, I needed, you know, the security in my head to go, well, I've done the training in pre-season, I know that I can get through a game with this, not so much I'm looking like Tarzan, yeah. I think I can, you know, like, yeah. I, I, not for me and, you know, apart from my foot injury, I'd, I had I hurt my hamstring once in 15 years. So, um, you know, apart from like breaking bones and stuff, like my soft tissue and stuff was fine. I wasn't huge on my leg weights and stuff like because I felt like during the preseason I needed to run and I didn't want to be sore when I was running. And then before a game, I needed to, to drop it off so I could be fresh because I thought I had one huge effort in me a week. So, um, yeah, the way I trained was more very game specific. I, just, yeah. I needed to to sprint and get some work in the ladder and blow my legs up and get the lactic in and be able to deal with lactic acid and stuff like that because that's how our game was. Yeah. Yeah, I like that a lot, thinking about the way that we're actually performing and shape your workouts into that and maybe add some to, to so you can continue to improve. So MVP, multiple-time MVP, you guys win a premiership. You start experiencing a ton of success and you move to me, which strikes me out of the back end to the midfield, begin to set records on on average disposals, which are like passes. Yeah. Uh, I, I got that right, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah during yeah. a game, right? So upward, yeah. I think it's 37 and a half on average, which you, and, and you're setting records in doing so, which reminds me of like in international football or, or in Spain, like this Xavi Hernandez or like an Andres Iniesta that's controlling the run of play. Um, first question I have to that, which is something that I see in a lot of sports, but specifically in lacrosse, is a kid may say, hey, I'm playing defense, and all of a sudden my coach wants me to play attack, or I'm playing attack, my coach wants me to play midfield. I'm not a midfielder. But here you do change positions your pro during your pro career and excel and become the best at it. Obviously, I, my guess would be that you encourage athletes to be open to that. But what did you take out of the back end that helped you out of the middle? Yeah, I think um, what certainly helped me down back was the ability to to read the to read the ball because um, the ball is coming at you. Um, you're not going at it. So especially when you forward, you, you're going to get it. Where the ball was coming at me, so I had the you know, three or four years to be able to read the fall of the plane, read um, which way the ball was coming. So that, and I think the big thing helped me was my body work. Um, playing down back, you have, you have to play on an opponent, and when the ball comes in, you're one on one. Um, you have to move him. You know, you have to. You're trying to mark the ball, so or, or spoil it. So my body work, I think, certainly helped. And um, so once I moved into the midfield, a lot of midfielders start in the midfield where, because I'd already had some body work and I sort of learn on how to, to use my body around you know whether in a pack or in stop in a stoppage like that um I was playing on guys and I could sort of move them a yeah. bit easier than what I had because I had practiced at it so I think that really helped me um and you get freed up in the midfield because you're not when you're down back you know if your opponent marks it they turn around kicking for goal so you, you're really tight all the time and you're so focused on your man. And yeah. But when you're in the midfield, you get so much more freedom so you can run around and really um, just, just showcase what you can do. So I, I love going in the midfield and getting that freedom of being able to run around and, and chase the footy because, you know, the game's called, well, it's called football, Australian rules football. So, um, you know, why wouldn't I want to touch the ball as many times as yeah. I can? So, um, and the yeah. big difference in rule, Australian rules football versus rugby is is – 
passing can go forward and backward, yeah. right? So it's three sixty um, degree sports. So we all we don't line up like NFL or like rugby where yeah. we line up across with each other and and you can only sort of get tackled from in front unless you, you you've broken the line. But yeah, so we start sort of eighteen versus eighteen all over all over the grounds like a like yeah. a jump ball in the middle and away you go. So you sort of have to have. You know, great vision because you can get tackled from anywhere, and um, so it's a it's a very very hard sport to explain. But um, for people who love, so is lacrosse, by yeah, way. yeah, I've, I've, I've seen lacrosse. But for people who love sport, it's and know sport, it's not. You know, you watch it for 15, 20 minutes, and you sort of pick up the, yep. the basics of it. It's not if you're explaining it to someone who has no idea about sport. Well, then we're going to be there a while. But yep. if, for people who get basics of most sports. You know, it, it'd be it's it's great sport because there's you know a bit like lacrosse, it's action all the time. We have um, we have four quarters. It's just you know twenty twenty five minutes of just nonstop. Yep. Unless the goals kick, then it just goes back to the middle and that takes thirty seconds. And you throw it back up. It's just nonstop um, running. So I think you know the midfielders run up ten mile about ten mile a game. Yeah, nine ten mile a game. But that's a lot. That's it's like a like a traditional soccer match yeah so it's like 16k a game and you know running up speeds to you know i think we did some stats here the majority of your um your running is like in between like 15 and, and 20k an hour so i don't know what speed that what's that 10 mile roughly it's about yeah, 10 mile an hour higher, is yeah. probably the is probably the average speed of a midfielder because you got to run to the next contest. That's, you got to get that's up. That's a that's actually a lot more than soccer because most yeah. of the time spent on the soccer pitch is is walking. Yeah. Believe it or not, like they spend some sixty or seventy percent of their time walking, but they're occupying territories. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and there's offsides and such, which is different. But for for a, a tip for defenders and uh, especially because the one on ones are so challenging and you're not uh, it's coming from all different angles. It's three sixty, as you said. When you were defending. Was there a specific way that you would lock in on someone who's taking you one-on-one? Is it like hips? That's what we often hear. And I grew up playing basketball, like stare at hips. Were there certain things that you could anticipate? Would you shade the field in half? Like Yeah. Well, if you're talking about tackling when someone's running at you, you obviously try and look at the hips and not try and watch the ball because you just balk someone and get around them. And yeah, like dummy. fake pitch. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Um, but if, you, if I was on someone, I would way – it depends on what I was playing on. If I was playing on a real – big strong guy I, I wouldn't want to lean on him because then they, I think they could push me out of the way if I was playing on a guy who I thought well, I was stronger than well I'd body him and so I could push him out of the way but um, you know if I was playing on a guy who I thought was quicker than me I'd start a yard in front of him and, and try and have you know well, we used to say try and have my fingers pointed one at him and one at the ball so hmm. if I was standing there you know so if he was there and the ball was there I, I could um, I could see both of them so I could position yeah. myself into the, in sort of the the way of the ball and um, try, try and cut the angles. So um, if I knew it was quicker than me to try and get myself in positions where I'd have, he'd have the guy who had the ball would have to make the hardest kick possible, which was usually a big high one over me. And then you're relying on your teammate to come off his man and hit and jump on his back and hit it out of bounds. So if I was playing on someone who I was quicker than, I'd just sit on his shoulder because I knew I could get to the, I knew I could get in front of yeah. him and spoil it. So... You know, there wasn't. There's no one way to to play down back because you're playing on all types. Um, you're playing on small, nippy guys. You got to be really careful about them at the fall of the ball. You got to um, so you got to try and push them out of the way and get them, get your body in between the ball and them because they're so talented like that. And like the big marking guys, you you got to try and um, keep them off the line of the ball so they can't run and jump at it. And if they do, um, you 
I don't want to be next to their bodies because they just push me off the off the line of the ball and take an easy mark. So um, it's a pretty complicated game, but it moves that fast. You just you don't really have time to think. It's yeah. like it's all the the training and all a lot of stuff that you've grown up with. Um, it's just because a lot of it's instinct, and you know I think that's what I played. I played on instinct. Um, I think you know you get drafted because you're good at something um, and you know you got to let your talent or your ability show out at some stage so um, a lot of my game was on instinct um, just just running to the right spots and I guess I used to try and run smarter not harder you know I'm just trying to look look at the way the ball's moving go righto I think the ball in three possessions is going to be here so you slowly move hmm. to the left hand side of the field while your opponent you know to be out there and then you know on the odd occasion you get burnt and like a shit kick could happen or something like a turnover would happen and be like, oh, I'm in trouble here. Like, I'm 40 yeah. metres off my opponent. So <laughs> you run back, you look like an idiot. But, you know, on the majority of times, you you think you know what you're doing better than them. So hopefully the majority of the time it works out. But you do get caught over the back occasionally, but that's just sport. Yeah. Well, what I, I love about that explanation, and I have to underscore it, is it's listening to someone who's played at a high level for 15 years or so and it's it, what that is you mentioned instinct a lot instinct is experience and you know it's there's a difference and and Wayne Gretzky used to always talk about being able to see where the puck was going to pop out three yeah. four seconds in advance that comes just with playing and time oh, but absolutely if, if you're if you're a talented athlete that understands certain disciplines and I asked that question around defense and some tips you'd probably go hips make sure you backpedal open up yeah. try to engage but when you have experience it's like well you have this type of player and that type of player and all that stuff is is instinctual for you because you've you've earned that but it's it, for me what was, was going through my mind and listening to you is like wow this guy has spent a lot of time in this game and you understand the intricacies where when you now we talked about your career turning in 2006 play all the way through 2016 mvp setting records winning championship like those are also accumulating moments on the field to where someone like us now in our 30s playing may not be you know as as easily off the bench and running at full speed as like someone who's 21 you can close that gap and potentially even be better off with experience and anticipation yeah yeah absolutely and i think um the the experience and stuff and it comes at a training net as well yeah um just and just kicking the ball in the park or kicking the ball sort of anywhere, it, it helps. And, um, yeah, like you said, that instinct does come with experience. But um, I guess the the young players who first come in to the game, you do notice a difference because they are just – they play one way because yeah. that's, what that's what they've been taught. And it takes a while. For, and especially – and I guess the defender coming out of like the under-18s, they've been so dominant, they get drafted, but they've, they've done it their one way. And once they come into – a league full of uh, talented players because everyone's in the league because they're good. They get that wake up call and you're like, oh, shit, well, he's actually stronger than me, so I can't. How right. do I change that? And then you go, that's when you start going into to helping the young fellas and trying to help them when I know, well, you're going to get pushed off the ball every time. So you need to have another trick in your, in your bag because yeah. there's a lot of talented forwards out here. And, you know, you might have, but you, you were the biggest kid in under 18. So, you know, there's a lot bigger kids than you now and you need to get a lot stronger to be able to play the way you play. So now you have to adapt your game somehow or maybe you go to a halfback, you go to a halfback to a running 
position where you have to learn other skills of the game because even the way the game is now, and I'm not sure how lacrosse is. You have to be adaptable. You have to be able to play in a lot of positions because yep. you know there's not just the big guy who just sits at full forward. You need to be able to run the way you know because like every sport, the game develops and the game changes so quickly that you need to be able to adapt. So now it's a lot more about running and you have to be able to play every position and the way the defense is set up. As a, it's not it's not a one-on-one defense anymore. It's a team defense. So as soon as the ball turns over, the whole side presses up the field. So they try and, like soccer, lock the ball in their um, their their half instead of just letting the ball come back and defending and attacking from you know the, the their go- own goal line. We all well, the, there's 18 people that press up into your forward half of the field and try and keep the ball in there. So you need to be able to run. Yep. back and forth and the half the forwards and the backs need to be just as fit as the midfielders because they have to do just as much running so you have to be adaptable and you have to be able to play multiple positions now because if you don't you get left behind because they're like well you can only play one position you get found out there we're going to bring this kid in who can go there but he can go to half forward if we need to and we can bring someone back here so it's and you have to play through injury which is course, like yeah. something that you've done for a long time and and you know, internal bleeding and muscles to the latest one that we'll talk about. But uh, just kind of culturally with the sport, it's always been one that has projected like the premium and ultra amount of of toughness. Uh, But there is, I, I, from my perspective, having been through a number of injuries at the professional level too, and you have your wages and your incomes and your, your livelihood to protect, that there's this dynamic between the pressure of maintaining your position on the team, being tough and playing through injury while knowing that you're sacrificing potentially longevity in the sport. I think more than than ever we're seeing it, I see it in soccer with like La Liga or the English Premier League to where, you know, if someone just pulls up slightly, they pull them off because, you know, you get them back in two weeks. These guys are worth, you know, half a million bucks a week in their wages or whatever it's coming through. So where does where does rugby land, Aussie rules land, and in, in like way of culture, and and how did you handle like playing through injuries and and when to like say something or deal with it? Yeah, I think the and culturally it's you, you play with with injuries. It's um, just like yours, like don't be. Yeah, well, yeah, you pretty much you play like yeah. so if someone's out with I don't know like a, a bruised quad or like a sore quad or something like that, will you? You're like, what are you doing? I like, just get out there and, yeah. and play. So it's it's just, that it's our Australian culture. Just get out there and do it. And I guess for me, mentally, I was like, you know, I was never always the best trainer during the week, but um, I thought my job was to play. So you know, and I thought I could do a better job than the guys who weren't. So even if I was at eighty percent, so um, yeah, I might have been sore during the week, but you know, as you would know, it's that adrenaline once you get out there. Yeah, it's amazing what how a sore shoulder goes away or a sort, you know, a broken finger goes away, or you know, whatever it is, it it just disappears for a couple of hours. Then obviously the you know, maybe the, the odd painkiller or something wears off, or the the cortisone jab wears off, and you, yep. you, and, and you and you're a bit sore that night. But then you do nothing during the week, and you get jabbed up, and you go again. And um, so yeah, I played through some some pretty big injuries, but um, it's just it's part and parcel of being a pro athlete. It's it's what it is, and. Um, I think that's why there's only so many certain people playing pro sports because um, they're the people that, that, can, yeah. that can get through it and, and deal with it. So it's, um, you know, it is what it is. But I guess obviously the big ones, you, you take a break. And um, I guess it also depends on who you're playing. If you're playing a side where you know you're going to win all you got 
finals coming up, you might go, all right, let's just have yeah, it. do it, have figure it, it out. Yeah, have a couple of weeks off. But, um, you know, I I told the physios and the club docs what I wanted them to know. Um, you know, you'd be walking around going, geez, I don't, I'm struggling to walk or something like that, and you, you get in, you go, no, I'm fine. I just got a just got a corky. I'll be I'll be fine. I just got a bruised hip, no yeah. problems. And you did you guys have it. good resources? Like yeah, physios, yeah. So club docs, you had all yeah. That so access. we all, you know, we obviously had you know club docs and club physios and and massage therapists and yeah, all the, all your facilities that you wanted to to um get your body right. And and we obviously we only played once a week, so um you know some days you might roll up, you might have lost five six day break and. Um, they they tested you, especially you know, if you got knocked around a bit the week before. But um, yeah, I think injuries were just a part of the game. And, and so maybe if I'd have been on five five hundred grand a week, mate, I might might have been a bit different. Uh, if I was on the big money that those boys are in the, in the soccer, but um, you know, just playing AFL and stuff and rugby, the, the, you just battle away and and just do what you do and have a break at the end of the year, and everyone gets surgery at the end of the year. And um, yeah. That's, that's, sort of, that's what it is. That's like one of the best kept secrets in the NHL is that all of these guys that play through the playoffs, they're playing on some massive injury and they get surgery behind the scenes as soon as the off season hits. Yeah, absolutely. And, and your biggest uh, injury, you referenced it earlier, is is the foot reconstruction that you had, Liz Frank, and then yeah. four metatarsals. Um, yeah, so I've been out of the game for two years and I do, you know, miss I'm loving what I'm doing now and, and having a great time, but um, I do miss just kicking the footy around. So I'm going to just put the side I grew up with. I played as a, as a junior back in West Meadows in Melbourne and I was going to have a, a kick with them and see how I go. Not all year. I'll probably play four or five games with them. Yep. Trying to help them out there. They're, they're struggling, but they haven't got a heap of money. So I'm just going to go back there and help them and see if we, you know, I've already, we've already doubled their sponsorship and stuff like that. And right. they've got some money coming in. And um, So is there a comeback then? Yeah, so I'm going to play. I'm going to play a couple of games. Um, just, I'm going to play a couple of games for them. Yeah. Um, hopefully a few people come down and, and watch so that they can get a bit of money on the on the bar and stuff like that and try and get them in. They're in second division at the moment, so trying to get them up to A grade. And um, just play with my uncles on the board down there. My cousins play down, my little cousins and that play down there. So yep. just, be able to, just be able to play, you know, do like a complete 180 again play why everyone plays sports for the love of the game yeah. um now i can go back and i can have a beer on a thursday night after the training or i can you know, not be so stressed about playing footy and worried about should i need to play well you know it's going to be in the front page of the paper the next day if i go shit house and stuff like that so just be able to go back and and play just for why you should play footy for the or any sport for the love of the game so i'm yeah. gonna go back have a lot of fun and you know not i'm I'd like to play well. Who doesn't? You know, everyone wants yeah. to play well, no matter what they're doing, whether it's PlayStation, poker, you know, professional sport, whatever it is. So I'd like to be able to get a kick, but if I don't, it's not going to be the the world's uh, worst thing. I'm just going to go back, have some fun, and play with some of my mates, which I'm really looking forward to. I've never got to play with before because I got drafted when I was 17, so I've never had the ability to play with friends that I've met in my last 15, 16 years. So get a couple of them there and have a bit of a laugh, have a couple of beers after a game, and have a good time. When when you first broke your foot, w- were you convinced that you were going to get through surgery and come back, or did you kind of know? And um, how did you process that? Yeah, I, I, I didn't know what it was for a little bit. I heard it, and I went down, and the physios and that ran out, and they were like, "Can you get up?" And I was like, "Can you give me a second? Like, I'm just yeah. let the adrenaline kick in." So I got up, and I walked to the um, oh, I, I, I walked to the. I walked to the bench and I was like, I just thought it was a sprained ankle, so I was like, righto, let's um, let's go to the, let's go down the rooms, tape it up, and get back out there. 
And as I was walking to the rooms, um, I could feel my bone moving in my legs. So I broke my tibia as well. Um, and I, I was like moving. And I was there's a photo I was like pointing down to my bone. And I was like, Doc, there's something wrong here. So I went down the rooms and he evaluated my leg and said, mate, you've broken your leg. And I was like, oh, how long is that? For weeks. And it was like uh, six to eight. So I was like, right, I'll be back in eight, I'll be back in six weeks. That's no problem. And he goes, what about your ankle? And I was like, oh, mate, well, if my leg's broken, my ankle's going to be fine. Like, it'll be right in a couple of weeks, just a swollen ankle. And then about, so he left because one of the other blokes split the webbing. <laughs> one of the other blokes split the webbing in their hand, knees, stitches. And, the other, and another guy went out for a big mark and fell on his neck. So we had, we needed the dock out on the ground. So I was sitting there and about five minutes later, my foot just started to swell. Yep. It swelled up like a hammerhead shark, like two huge lumps on either side of my foot. I was like, to the lady, I was like, can you please go get the dock? Something's wrong with my foot. And she come in, and he doc come in, and I was like, mate, that doesn't seem like a normal foot. Like it's starting to hurt a bit now because if initially asked me if I wanted painkillers, and I was like, no, I'm fine. Just give me a bag of ice for my foot, and I don't need any painkillers. Doesn't hurt. And then I was like, well, maybe I, I think I'm gonna need some painkillers now. It's starting to bother me a bit. Yeah. So we had that, and I was like, mate, what could that be? And he was like, like you have so many bones in your foot, it could be anything. But what we don't want it to be is the Lince Frank ligament. And sure enough, so the next morning, well, the foot was even bigger. And then um, when got so when got scans the Monday, Tuesday, and we found out it was that. And I asked what the process was, and um, I spoke to a couple of people, and I, I kind of knew deep down I was probably going to be because of my age. And you know, if you get to thirty three as a football, you you know, it's not many people make it over thirty. You know, so I think the average career is like four or five years, and you get drafted at eighteen. So yeah. Um, I was like, well, do I want to try and give it 18 months of of not playing and doing all this sort of stuff? So I let I let it go for about three to six months and, and try to come back. And mentally, it was the worst. I, I didn't kick a ball for 12 to 18 months just because I was worried that my foot was going to smash in half. And um, you know, the docs me goes, "There's that much metal in there. That's mate, you could mate, you could kick a you know, you kick a horse and you'd be completely fine. You, know, you, you, you could do whatever you wanted." So, but. But mentally, I was like, I just don't think I can. So I know I was. I started kicking a balloon. Like that's yeah. how that's how I progressed. It just at home, I kicked a balloon. So that doesn't hurt. Then you know, I kicked like a soft, you know, like a dog soft toy. Just and then I slowly up kicked the soccer ball. And then I was like, right, I kicked the ball from you know five yards, then ten yards, and then obviously like that. But um, it was more just the running and the agility and playing, being at the top of the sport. I didn't want to come back and play at a level where I was frustrated with myself that I couldn't give what I wanted, give what the coaches wanted, give what the fans wanted. I mean, what, you know, they say I'd, I'd rather um, I'd rather have lived. Um, I, didn't want, well, I didn't want the fans to be, me to come back and be wrapped that I, want, I was going to want to come back and play and then the fans go, you should have, you should have stayed retired. Or the coach goes, listen, man, we can't play. You're going to have to play in reserves everywhere because we can't, we can't play because we can't trust your foot yeah. or... So that's that's why I come to the decision. I wanted to retire. I was like, I just yeah. I was like, I can't. I don't think I can give what I think my brain because my brain was still going. Like my brain would be like, Dan, you got to get here and you got to get there to get that ball. But if my body wasn't allowing me, it would have just drove me crazy. So I was like, I'd rather just retire. And people think, you know, the coach of geez, we wish you still had you and you know die a hero than live long enough to become the villain. They say so. Yeah. Um, so sort of that kind of thing. So yeah. I wanted to go out sort of on topish and uh, unfortunately my last game I the only time I touched it was when I hurt my foot but in the first game of the year but unfortunately that's the way it is but like yeah. I said I sit here extremely happy with 
how I did in my career. If you had to ask anyone who knew me when I was 17 if I would have done what I would have done, you know, people would have might have thought you were crazy. So I had one big injury and happened to be my last one. So I'd rather have got it at 32 when my career was over than got it at 27 and when I was at my best and it ruined my career for the rest, you know, ruined the rest of my career. So and I, I can't complain. I, I was very, very lucky to do what I did. So yeah, I'm um, here. I am. Yeah, we started this conversation around the Rat Pack and like being balanced and doing stuff more plain and socially, and then you've transitioned and added a, a a slew of businesses into what you do, which has probably actually helped that transition as yeah. a lot of that was starting. And and now you've begun this career in entrepreneurship. You have an event business. You wrote a book about your story that's fascinating that just came out. You have a clothing line. You have a tattoo parlor. Mm. How are you managing your time, and what gets you most excited, and where are you spending most of your time on this? Um, yeah, well, both things probably get me most excited at the minute. Is my, I've got my bar, sort of nightclub opening up in, in two weeks. Feb there 9 opens. Yeah, so that should be fun. But Feb 1, where's that at? Let's give a shout-out to that. It's, yeah, it's, in, uh, it's called the Albion. It's in uh, South Melbourne in Melbourne. So um, that'll be good fun. Um, I don't know. What, what I spend most of my time, I, I like to not – do one thing for too long like I like to, to break it up and keep um, just sort of keep fresh and so I do bits and pieces my clothing line my clothing line's out of Bali so it's tough that I have to go to Bali for work every now and then so yeah <laughs> so I don't mind doing that um, going to Bali for for work um, yeah the, the tattoo shop I've, I'm, I don't have a lot to do with it because I don't tattoo so I go in there and, and help and give my advice stuff like that I get tattooed in there but but that's about it but um yeah, so the, the the book was fun. Um, so yeah, I just like to keep things new and exciting. And I don't, um, I move it sort of a, a million miles a minute. I, I lose interest in things and I want to go do something else. But um, I just like to be around. I like to do things that I enjoy. So I like, obviously, I've got a lot of tattoos. So I enjoy tattoos. Yeah, I like having a good time. So bar, nightclub, I like fashion. So everything I've sort of I've sort of done or invested in and stuff like that is, is stuff that. I enjoy. Um, I don't want to enjoy. I don't want to, you know, invest in an accounting firm or invest in, yep. you know, something that I just have no interest in because it, it it's not me, and it, um, I prefer to just do stuff like I said that I enjoy, and um, that, that is what it is. So um, having a good time. I've had a, a great eighteen months since I've been retired. I've done a lot of amazing things I never thought was going to be possible, and that's all possible due to football and and, and my relationships that I've had along the way. So. Um, yeah, like I said, I sit here very content and, and, and pretty happy with, with what I've done. Yeah, and, and you've done a lot, and you continue to push and motivate a lot of other athletes to look at the value of sports as a platform, be able to build off of it. So the last question that I'll have for you, and it's, 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 it's one that I talk a lot about with my guests, and everyone has a unique opinion on it in that following your passion and, and exploring things that, that make you happy and what you want to have fun, it's, that's worked for you. Uh, but you also have people in this world that uh, are either overly speculative or aren't pursuing their dream for another number of reasons or aren't pursuing their passion because the opportunity is not there. When you get that type of uh, question or if you have advice to people who you know, want to get into sports or want to get into entertainment or want to get into become a restaurateur, don't know where to start or they can't make a livable wage doing it, then what? And, and how do you think about that kind of stuff? Yeah, well, especially with, with sport and stuff, as a, as a junior, um, if I'm speaking, to, especially kids, once you're an, an adult, you kind of know the, the path that you want to take. Is, uh, don't get too, follow your dreams, but don't, especially playing professional sports, because 
clearly not everyone can play professional sports. So yeah. as, try as hard as you can and, and do it, but make sure you you know, you go to school or you have a backup because if you throw all your eggs in the professional athlete basket and it doesn't happen, you're going to get, especially here, you're going to get to 18, 19, 21, 22. You're going to not get drafted. Then all of a sudden you're going to be, um, all of a sudden you're going to be, well, what do I do now? And you have to start completely again. Then you have to go back to college or go back to uni and that's another five or six, seven years. And then you're 28, 29 by the time you're starting something. So it's always, it's always great to chase dreams and, you know, a lot of us get, and I got extremely lucky. You know, a lot more, a lot of better players that um, come in, come past my locker room, and were better than me. Just didn't get the opportunity. But um, yeah, the advice I would say is, uh, make sure you absolutely do chase your dreams, but you need to be um, smart enough and conscious enough that not everyone gets their dreams. So make sure um, you have something that you've got uh, as backup. But um, oh, do something you love. Clearly, yeah. Um, you know, just find that. Yeah, find exactly. You know, what I always thought to work to live, not live to work. Mm. If you know what I mean. Um, no point working ninety hours a week for something you hate and getting to fifty and going, well, fuck, that was a waste of time. One, it was. Right. I hated it. I hated it for the last thirty years. So, uh, money's not everything. Um, you know, I'd rather rather enjoy my life and have great memories and laughs, and you know, be the richest man in the graveyard. If you enjoyed Dane and my conversation. Let us know. We're both super active on Twitter. I'm at Paul Rabel. His is at Swan Dane. Be the first to listen to next week's episode as well as catch up on previous episodes, including my one-on-one conversation with New England Patriots head coach Bill Belichick. Separately, BB and I have a collaborative event we're getting ready to announce on behalf of our foundations. Stay tuned to my social media, I think this Wednesday, for the announcement timing is going to be at the NCAA Final Four in Boston this May. His episode and many more are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your pods. Also, please hit subscribe when you find us. Lots of gratitude to you for doing so. Shortcut to our show notes at suitinguppodcast.com. And of course, a special shout out to our show sponsors today, Mattress Firm and Away Travel. They make this podcast go. We're very grateful for your support. Have a great week, everyone.